Hi everyone, it's your host Mandy Bynum. Welcome to another episode of Equality Matters from the Race Equality Project. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with my dear old friend and former boss, Ryan O'Neill, who is the VP of Commercial Sales at GitLab. For those who aren't familiar with GitLab, GitLab is a complete DevOps platform delivered as a single application, fundamentally changing the way development, security, and ops teams collaborate and build software. From idea to production, GitLab helps teams improve cycle time from weeks to minutes, reduce development costs and time to market while increasing developer productivity. GitLab is the world's largest all-remote company with team members located in more than 65 countries. Having Ryan there, I'm so jealous that they have him. (laughs) He is by far one of the best managers I've ever had. And uh, having the honor of being hired by him twice, um, I can safely say that of all of the folks I've reported to, from the moment I met Ryan, I felt safe, which is, is so important for someone like me who's a black woman and walking into interviews with mostly white men as the norm, it's not often you're going to feel that way in an interview or in working with someone on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so for that reason and many others, this conversation was such a gift. Um, like I said, we worked together at two companies and during those times we had what I thought were deep conversations about race and equity on a weekly basis, just because he held, you know, continued to hold space for those conversations. But our time today still shed so much light on our differences and how we think so differently about our roles in equity, uh, where we know we have privilege and power, but also how in spite of our vast differences in tactics, it's still clear to me that Ryan's persistence in growing diverse teams is is just as strong as mine is. Um, he talks about the times where there are moments of choice for using his privilege and power to enable inclusion and equity. Um, he told me about times when it was the obvious right thing to do and times when it wasn't. Um, and how he's since reflected on the difference in circumstances of, of all of those moments. Um, I will say that this conversation was especially entertaining to listen back to because to this day, I am always so impressed with how Ryan actually knows what the hell I'm asking him uh, because the way I ask questions is is so fragmented and like off the cuff. And to me, even when I listen back to them, I, they don't even make sense. Uh, and Ryan always seems to know what I'm getting at, um, which I can chalk up to the Equemini in us that he's a Gemini and I'm an Aquarius, or just that Ryan is a really, really great listener and, and is uh, prioritizes understanding people before, you know, just mouthing off his accomplishments. One of the biggest highlights towards the end of this conversation is when Ryan and I talk about what it's like being the white guy who cares about diversity. And how other people talk about diversity with him and some, and how he smells out a performer a mile away. Um, he doesn't describe it like that, obviously, as you'll see. Um, but that, I think, was a great way to end the conversation. And without further ado, I will let you hear it all for yourself. 
Hey, Ryan, how you doing? I'm well. How are you? I can't complain. Uh, thanks for coming on today. If there were ever a year of complaining, this would be it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for being our first guest. Uh, we'll get started. I just want to know how you, what you do for work, what is your role, and how did you get into this line of work and the role you have now? Um, I am the Vice President of Commercial Sales for GitLab, and we are a fully distributed organization globally, about 1,400 employees. Uh, my team is about 50 salespeople and sales managers. Hmm. And uh, how did I get into it? So I asked this question in my interview process, and I say, what did you want to be? And a lot of people are nervous about not stating they want to be in sales, but I think a lot of times people like me get into sales when they're not sure, um, but they believe in themselves. Uh, they believe that they have an opportunity to go out and sell things and um, build relationships that will help somebody make a buying decision. So I started my sales career at a little known company called salesforce.com, um, worked at other companies like SurveyMonkey and New Relic, and now I'm at GitLab. Hmm. Um, so you've managed a lot of people a lot of individual contributors, a lot of managers, and you've built sales teams. Um, and the whole reason we're talking today is around the Race Equality Project and what corporations, especially in tech, can do or should be doing to increase the amount of equity they have um, at their company. But you and I both know that the actual doing of that is really hard. Um, and so I would be curious to know or would like for you to tell us uh, a time when you like really realized that this was going to be hard work if you wanted to improve DEI at your company. Oof. Um, well, first, I thank you as, as someone who I worked with in the past, you were really uh, instrumental in helping me think through um, how to build better teams and equity is just one of those components. Um, but it is a component that, I think in today's business culture, particularly tech, particularly uh, fast-paced or fast-growing tech organizations, there's a lot of this feeling of, well, the, the I don't want to say the old way, but the, the way that it's always been done is the right way to keep doing it um, because mm -hmm. that was successful. So don't why, why change that portion? Um, what I love about GitLab, because it does things differently, and, and what I what aligned with that and, and helped me truly value building an organization that had um, improved equity, I would describe it as, uh, than just the standard organization, mm -hmm. is it, it allows people to both come up with new ideas, and I think of that as being things that you think of doing in a completely different way, um, but also be very comfortable in their own role and their own level of autonomy in iterating and changing things um, that are done on a day-to-day -day basis. So it, part of having an organization... Um, that offers equity to the individual contributors, but everybody in the company um, is you have to give this level of autonomy for people to think differently, but you also have to expect them to think differently. So um, the time that I'm thinking of you know, on my team to answer your question was uh, I believe in a team meeting, I made a statement with regards to uh, something political that mm -hmm. for sure was an exclusive statement. Um, and I, as the highest level person in that room, I probably stated it in a way that um, 
would make anybody who didn't have the same political views feel uncomfortable. And uh, the hard part about that is, I think myself even making that statement, um, I did it probably at a time out of my own discomfort of what was going on in the world and Mm. not thinking that it would prevent my team um, from offering equity to everybody on the team. Um, but also making it a comfortable and inclusive environment for everybody around, around me, um, but on the team. Yeah. And for sure, I, I was taking advantage of the scenario of being the leader. Of course, everyone's going to smile and nod because their leader said it. Um, and that's exactly the kind of environment I didn't want to build where people would just smile and nod. And so I realized uh, it was the wrong thing to do. Had an immediate discussion with my people ops business partner um, and then put together a, a formal and appropriate apology uh, to the team and told them that there are certain things that we can't bring to the table in discussions um, to be able to maintain a, an inclusive and equitable culture. Was it, were you the one who was like, oh crap, I shouldn't have said that? Or did someone else bring it to your attention? Uh, it was a, a um, direct report of mine who brought it to my attention. Um, and it was extremely embarrassing. And uh, I was thankful um, that he brought it to my attention. Yeah. Um, I'm more curious to know about one where you could have done what you've always done or you could have done something differently and doing that thing that was different either put felt like you were putting yourself at risk or um, you were putting you were putting your neck on the line for someone else who was who was different who was different who wanted to do things differently and challenged you to advocate for them and maybe you found a point in that process uh, a point where like where you had to say okay ryan this is the time where i can make my team inclusive or i cannot i've had a number of small experiences uh part of it uh, as i think about it uh mandy is that they are somewhat extremely personal um uh-huh. Some for me, um, as I'm developing the um, the individuals on my team, but also for those individuals. When, um, so when you found your, I heard you say earlier that when you said when you said something political in front of the team, and then had to do, you felt the need to make an apology, and then with um, providing me with the salaries of the of my counterparts. Do how do you feel like your position and the place you had within the power dynamics of the company helped or hindered you being able to do what you wanted to do? Uh, for sure position, but uh, there's another important point to it. And I don't know if it's power dynamics, but it's more, I think it would have been a lot harder had I not been successful to that point had the decisions that I had made and things that I had committed to not worked, I think all of these things become harder. Uh. And uh, values only matter if you uphold them at times when it's difficult. So um, that's something that I always remind myself. And uh, in that, at that particular time, uh, in the second story, I, I had been in the organization had been very successful in growth. And you know, some of it, due to the team and hard work. And in, in some cases could have been right place, right time. But um, that I think within the organization made it easier for me um, probably when it got to 
I don't know, a legal question or a finance question of can can Ryan share this with um, with a manager on his team? They're like, okay, of course. Um, but I think if it were if if it were Ryan, the the troubled vice president who hasn't been doing well in sales, it may have been looked at differently. I don't yeah. know that for sure, um, but it may have been a little bit scary for me at the time. Yeah, and what about if the people you asked were a different gender? Or if you were a woman, do you feel like that would have changed your ability in either scenario to turn things around or make change? Uh, that's a good question. I, if I had, if I were a woman doing it, um, I, I have to say, I feel first, if, if you look at the, uh, my gender and such, I, I, I do feel really fortunate, um, it took me a long time and I think I'll always be learning of uh, the, the levels of benefit that I have being a um, white male who looks like the person who could be cast for my role. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that may add to the confidence um, in scenarios uh, like that of being like, well, I, I, I need to go ask for these compensation um, amounts because it's the right thing to do. And just like, uh, being high performing made me think it made me more confident that for sure it was the right thing to do. I, mm-hmm. I could see me in, in an altered universe thinking, Ooh, I, I, sh- I should be hesitant to go ask for this information. If maybe I'm not their ideal character for this role. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's, it, it just sticks with me that it's even more of my duty for who I am to make sure that I uphold um, opportunities to, to value equity. Yeah. When did you start actively and explicitly, do you feel like um, working to create a more equitable opportunity for people who are not the, what did you say? the the best fit for the role or the best person for the casting. Oh yeah. Best person for the casting. <laughs> they didn't yeah. look like the character in the, in the movie. Yeah. Um, um, but like when was there a moment where you're like, oh, okay, all right, this is it. And from now on I'm going to do things like this or, um, or like I'm going to put extra work into this because it's the right thing to do. Um, I would love to hear about, one or two of those moments, whether it's to do with work or family or anything else. Well, one of them was my very first sales team. Um, There's a woman who uh, wanted to get into the role uh, who was in, who was selling uh, training and wanted to get into the kind of the standard sales role at the organization. And she was extremely thorough great um, with execution, but um, probably lacked in the the sociable portions, um, I guess, that you would expect of a salesy sales call. And what I saw was someone who, in, let's say, 40% of the cases, I think the customer preferred to interact with was very matter-of-fact, straightforward, wasn't necessarily selling the relationship as much as... I would describe it as like an efficient evaluation of the product. And 
I don't think it was that I stumbled upon, oh, wait, if I hire people on my team that are uh, less extroverted or less salesy, suddenly I had a better team. Um, but I did stumble upon like, something that's always been within me is like having a level of differentiation can always be used to an advantage, um, particularly like, it works with the product, but also um, with a particular member of the team. Now, mm-hmm. after she joined my team, the next step was, okay, what other things could we solve in a, in a very cookie cutter sales environment um, across our entire team if we have different people join? And that's when I began to seek out just a significant level of diversity. So the first was finding diverse individuals who I knew could solve a problem that existed today. The second piece was when my team got diverse enough background, um, gender, race, what started happening was was we got rid of the click and mm. I found that people were much more frequently open to sharing different ideas, but also supporting other people's ideas that weren't necessarily popular. And by definition of popular, meaning everybody liked them. They would say, okay, but if we're going to try an A-B test, I want to do the one that this other person's doing, which would let, like, it never used to happen that way. It would always be, if we're going to do an A-B test, everybody want to go to the winning, te- the winning option. Right. And so that was a, that for me was a big difference in understanding how teams work that I didn't have the opportunity to have before because I just didn't have that experience on my team. Yeah. And that's, it's interesting you say that because it, um, I know compared to me, like I think in colors and shapes and you think in numbers and engineering things. Uh, and data. so data, sure. Um, and so hearing you engineer that process of like w- the steps it would take to see change, um, I think a lot of people, I would, I would venture to guess that a lot of people like you think that that is not doable or like wouldn't even think about creating that type of process and taking that much like personal impact out of it because when I heard you describe that, it was very matter of fact. It was very like, I, I know what's going, how this is going to affect my team and make it better. And here are things that I'm looking for. Um, and it didn't seem that hard. So when you say like people like you, like I I didn't think it was possible and I didn't think it was going to work. Um, I I know I say it as if like hindsight's 2020. Um, I was willing to take a little bit bigger risk and um, it, it was one of the scenarios. I mean, particularly in the first scenario, it was one of the scenarios where um, if I was going to try it, then I was going to put my all into it. So, mm-hmm. so what would you say to someone who you were talking to who kind of, who would give you that reason for not making an investment in hiring someone different or someone who wants to keep hiring the same person? Or the same type of person. Well, I mean, there's there's an adage to this one, which is if you keep doing what you, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. Right. Um, and in that one, if they're not, if things aren't going well you know, in these new times, um, the year of 2020, then doing the same thing probably is just going to perpetuate the things not going well. Uh, but the adage itself isn't the answer. Um, the actual scenario is when things aren't going well, taking 
I'm going to describe them as calculated, but maybe in this case, it would be uncalculated risks because you haven't done it before. Um, taking calculated risks, it, if something doesn't work, it, it, the impact is, is reduced. And usually, um, you can learn faster without as much cash pain. Uh. So if you were doing a, a mass, like a 10x size and you take a small risk, um, it could have a big impact. But if you're saying it's already a down year and we take a risk now, um, it, there's not as much to lose. And so the risks are, are I think, will outweigh the opportunity um, because if you're having a difficult year, everybody's growing slowly. So if this this shouldn't wouldn't be the reason you would grow slowly, this is the time to take that risk. That's what I would say. And then I would actually walk through the details of if you take this risk, it's going to cost you, whether it's personal investment or personal learning time. Um, but the outcome, how great is the upside and the downside of that outcome? And so that's where you look at, okay, it's a, a time where if, you've always, if you always do what you've always done, you're going to get the same outcome. So right. this is the time to start taking the risk. The difficult times, take the risk now. Make your mistakes now because the impact is smaller and then continue to get better and better in a direction that we know builds better teams. Yeah. So when you talk about taking risks, that you mean things with process and maybe different pers- like different, um, we'll say AEs with who are introverted, not extroverted, or um, someone who's more very into the product, but maybe not the best salesperson. Um Let's talk about like when you have hired people of color or not hired people of color and what that process was like for other people on your team. And did you feel like you had to defend or advocate for the people you hired? Um, and has that changed in the last five years or since you've gone to your new company? Or was it like, even if it's super subtle, it would have been super subtle, I bet. And do you feel like you don't have to do this much anymore? No, I, I think I have to do it as much. Um, it, let's end up the defending. It's the, the focus on the value um, of hiring a diverse team. And I, I, I'm not trying to go away from the, the term people of color. It's, it's that it, mm-hmm. it has to include people of color. And so uh, the first thing that I look at is in recruiting of great team members to build a team that can solve a problem, mm-hmm. not great individuals. Mm-hmm. And so to do that, that isn't, uh, I'm gonna, it, you know, I guess I'm going to go that it, that is not normal. So when I worked, when I got to GitLab, I worked really closely um, with my recruiting team, both the recruiting manager and then my um, mm-hmm. direct recruiter from my organization about how early we started mm-hmm. recruiting for roles if you start recruiting with four weeks to go, you have to hire from the known network of people that already exist to you. And just based on places that I've worked in the past, we, we haven't mm-hmm. been as diverse as I would have liked. So just like anything else that in life that you would want to be good at and you'd want to achieve and you, you need to adjust early and give yourself time uh, to make up the delta of, I, I couldn't simply hire my, my past network because it wasn't diverse enough. And so the, the time was the first key. Um, but then the second portion is you have to be extremely mm-hmm. intentional about it. 
you can't wait till after you've passed on a bunch of candidates to think through what is your interview process and is it inclusive and does it um, give everybody an equal shot at being successful in the interview process. Um, the second portion is uh, when you look at LinkedIn profile reviews or resume reviews. Yeah, of course, if you look for people with X number of sales experience in a SaaS company from these locations, you're going to get the same people right. that have always been in those roles. So you have to look at, um, and I didn't think of this as as giving in. I think of it as looking at different backgrounds that both contain um, exhibited self-drive, but also contain an experience that this team and this organization, so the GitLab commercial sales team, can benefit from if someone brings that background. Someone who's founded a company, um, someone who's worked in an adjacent industry or adjacent technology, uh, but not worked in the same technology. Someone who has uh, less sales experience, mm-hmm. but some technical experience, or someone who has no technical experience, um, but has had to be in, in a outbound selling role that doesn't get its own leads. So these are all different backgrounds that I found to be valuable. And then if you start early, then you look at, okay, of the people who have these backgrounds or these skill sets, I want to make sure that I have a good balance of people, of, of people of color, um, and then also male, female. Yeah. And again, I think the key part of that is starting early. I personally work with so many leaders and their first thing is like, well, I don't have any headcount right now. So there's not really anything I can do. And that, and that is to me is synonymous with it's a pipeline problem because they're not going to even go look and build a network until they need to, or they feel like they need to. But you can go agree with you. It's a pipeline problem, but it also can go one step before Mm -hmm. that. It's also a brand problem. Just tech sales in general has its own brand problem. Truth. Truth. And so you have to work on upstream from that. How do you adjust the brand problem? Uh, The line that I always use is first it's butts and seats, right? (laughs) Who's in the seat and how are they happy in the seat? And do they talk to other people? like or not like mm-hmm. them about being happy in the seat and where is that review getting put? Yeah. Um, what are some things or what is one thing or one thing that comes top of mind that surprised you as a, in the result of your efforts to diversify the people coming into your team? Cause from what you're saying, it all seems pretty premeditated. There's two ends of the spectrum in being surprised by it. There's one end of the spectrum, which is uh, in business, and I've seen it, there are still people who, I don't know, in the, the world of Zoom video conferencing, but they, they shrug or potentially roll their eyes at these types of efforts um, as if it's just being a do-gooder. Um, as opposed to this is really good for the business. I think that's a little bit surprising sometimes. And I don't know if this is in line yeah, with the, yeah. the question you were asking. Um, but that that's one of them. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where I think um, particularly in, let's say, interviews and, or um, assessments, um, professional assessments or like uh, reviews, where I, I think and maybe it's the nature of being in sales, but people think they talk about 
uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion because they think I want to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and it's not that I don't want to, but I feel like some people over-index when they talk to me. Tell me more um, about that. Sorry. Because it's something that, I, that I've focused on and, it, yeah, and uh, worked on a Tell lot of Tell me more about up. that. You know, I think about, I think about how people uh, take things that I've either worked on with them or, or taught them uh, and make it their own. You know, either have their own anecdotal story um, or have their own why behind the efforts of, of hiring a diverse team. And some people haven't fully taken that step. And yet in public scenarios, group meetings or larger meetings, we'll talk about it as if it's a priority of theirs and they're really working hard on it. And I'm not saying they're not working hard on it. What I'm saying is uh, it it does feel like they're, they're probably doing it for that that reason of doing it for show as opposed to um, because it really yeah. builds a better team. And so what I'm hearing though is that uh, something I've always admired about you, Ryan, is that you tend to coach people to the career, not to the role and the task or the project at hand. So it's, it's, you coach so much further out than just what's happening today and what we need to accomplish. Um, and it, it, I think it's what you said there was around um, when you see someone take something you taught them and make it their own. Um, what have there been particular times when you've noticed that and said, Oh crap, like that, that is going to go so much further because that person is taking what I taught them as opposed to someone else. Yeah. I mean, that I'm just thinking through some examples. Um, I think I was permitted at least psychologically and via data to try something different um, because of this scenario that we got into, which was everybody was doing it exactly the same and I wanted to do even better. So there was a portion of it of me pushing myself with me feeling confident and taking the risk. Um, and then the last portion was it, uh, it, the team was successful doing it. So that I, I think it is appropriate to say, like, even I didn't think um, it would be better. If someone had tried to sell it to me, it would have been harder to implement. But the fact that I kind of sold myself on it um, mm -hmm. through the help of this individual, um, I think that helped me uh, believe in the success I could have. Yeah. And now with COVID and a lot of leaders looking to, I guess, get started in investing in diversity, equity, and inclusion within their company, um, often some sometimes the best the best time to start an equity practice is when the business isn't doing well. But it sounds like from what you're saying, like you were in a, a position where you had enough that you could lose and still be successful, even if like this scenario didn't work out. I think so. Uh, yeah. One of the things we've done in our leadership team is we've opened up the discussion to when things that we do normally could potentially create an exclusive environment um, or an environment that I'll describe it as is mm. optimized for a white male. Um, and, and not that we don't want white males to also perform. It's just that the, the scenario has been optimized for people of one type as opposed to people of other types. And 
we have a leadership team that also has white males on it. And uh, one of the examples that I remember specifically um, was we ran our own ally training where you do the unpacking of your backpack and you, you look at um, how fortunate you are based on kind of what levels of fortune within yep, modern American tech culture. Got to have the logo on it. And too. Uh, <laughs> it, we, uh, and of course, even if you work from home, we still need to show the backpack <laughs> in, the, in the camera. But um, in that focus, we, we, are trying to create an environment where uh, everybody can feel included um, and also feel like they have the same opportunity. And inherently there are things that we've just done for years or, or said that we've, um, that we've always said the way we say them that, that don't align well with either different personalities or mindsets or, or backgrounds. And it, it was said kind of in jest as, as part of a joke Um but it related to race um, by one of the leaders on our team. And I think at the time it, it was it, in the zoom world, it's a little different because everybody's either mm-hmm. on mute or they're talking. And so um, it kind of goes by quickly. And the, the, I think right thing to do as an ally would have been to step up and just kind of make, make a comment about it. And then you move on. Um, still not sure, but didn't know what to do at the time. And then, uh, brought up uh, afterward um, with the individual who I Mm -hmm. I potentially thought could have been offended. Um, And, you know, that individual said, no, it's it's fine. It happens all the time. But then also brought it up um, with, with the person who made the statement. And basically uh, it, it it was Mm -hmm. in a one-to-one environment. Um, and you know, he, he stated like, ah, I, I, mm. I could kind of feel it at the time. Um, but also could, could see, I think that it wasn't something that he could learn from because I said it, but something that he actually felt himself. Mm-hmm. And that was, it's like the, the, some of the best coaching is when you don't have to do the coaching, right? It was like, oh, nope. Here, yep, here's what I saw and here's kind of what I understood and, and here's yeah. what I would have done differently next time. And uh, hey, that's something that you, I, I look at that moment and all I can think is, in, yeah, he's going to be able to not only think through this more thoroughly himself when scenarios like this happen again, right? Because in trying to get better, one of my lines that I say for my team is, you know, I know we're not trying. And everyone's like, well, how do you know? And I'm like, because yeah. we haven't made enough mistakes. Because <laughs> the business world, particularly the software sales world, is so engineered around one type of person that comes in and works hard and talks about sports and is competitive and mm-hmm. steps on toes, you know? And uh, when we start trying is when we start to make mistakes and offend people. But then we have a, a set approach to being an ally and how we get through the, the, these mistakes. And so I, I just saw an individual that learned both um, how to sense when a potential mm-hmm. uh, inclusive mistake had been made. Um, and then secondarily, I think we'll be able to yeah. teach that in the future. And that's really, that's really interesting. You say that because there are so many conversations in which as an ally, we tend to go to, I call them the perp 
and say like, hey, I don't know if that was the best thing to say. Here's what I would have said differently. And that's that's practicing allyship because you're advocating for the person who may have, whether they said they were offended or not, you still feel the need to, to address that person. And oftentimes that comes back, the response is defense. And it sounds, and I, I, it sounds like there's been a huge shift in the past two to three years in the tech industry where I'm starting to have conversations with people who are like, I wanted to talk about this one scenario that happened. I didn't say anything about it, but like they're bringing it to me as opposed to like being told when they've done something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good shift if that's what's happening out there. I, I mean, in my my corner, it, it, and things aren't all rosy where 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 I am, and I always want to bring things to you as well. Um, and, and it's one of the things I talked about in a on a panel, but it was uh, you need your sort of diversity, equity, and inclusion mentor. Um, I think particularly as a leader, you need everybody needs their own safe space. I mean, we need to be. Um, admitting of our faults and, and sometimes uh, it's hard to see them just on a day-to-day basis. And so get the, ha- having that awareness to think about, Hey, can we talk about this thing that I said, or I want to mm-hmm. know if this is the wrong thing. Um, the awareness is the first step. And then having someone that you can talk to about it is also helpful too. vulnerability. Of course uh, you, you can talk about it internally, but it's not always the case that the same group of people are all there, mm. you know, able to talk about it. Just, especially in the zoom culture where it's not like we're walking from meeting to meeting or something like that. It's, it's just like the, the yeah. camera's on and you're yeah. talking. And yeah, I, I, um, thank you for bringing back the camera. What are some things that you've either had to adjust or that make you feel like if we were in person, this would be so much easier. Um, and what, what does that look like? And what are some habits that you've had to create or, um, what has changed for you? If, if, if maybe time, um, when it comes to doing everything online and interacting with people online as opposed to in person, there's just uh, in this scenario, being in camera, um, the con- the, so many things are inherently right. out of context. <laughs> you know, one person's in their living room with with uh, family in the room, and other people are in like you know, great office where it's silent and they don't worry about what other people are saying around them. So um, I think being respectful of somebody else's context that they're in at the moment, we we also have, we're global. So it could be morning, my time, and I'm speaking quickly and it's evening or maybe midnight in APAC. Um, So there's the out of context stuff. Um, The second portion is, when you have that awareness of maybe I offended somebody, it's really hard to tell. Um, there's no body language. It's not like someone got up and walked out or it's, they don't, or the, the visual mm-hmm. of like someone's not paying attention. Um, so what about people turning their camera off suddenly, is that a thing? Is that a sign? Uh, we don't, mm-hmm. we, we in general don't do that, but um, people will uh, go on mute you know, when things get difficult in conversations. <laughs> So I think as a leader, but someone who wants to make sure everybody on the team who values it, you want to make sure that people can be inclusive. You've got to be open to having the difficult conversation more frequently of, hey, how did, how did that feel? Um, and more open to people bringing it up. And one that we've 
struggled with is it, it sounds crazy, but being inclusive of people and their understanding of what yeah, is exclusive. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Still learning, and that's the one where um, I it, I would say uh, that we we make mistakes on it, and so yeah. we keep trying. That that's a hard one too because it's the grief to profit ratio. Like it, the amount of work that we have to do to bring this person along, it's like, why don't you just go work somewhere else? Cause like, we don't have the tolerance for that. Um, and at what point do you, do you make that decision? Like this person's a lost cause or like really encourage, especially those who are being marginalized um, and those who are, for whom the burden is on to do the teaching. Like how do you encourage them to continue carrying that burden and continue educating people? Ooh, a couple of things. Number one is I try to be more um, patient with people being exclusive about exclusivity <laughs> than, than with being patient with things staying the same. Right? Because cha- change is, is still better. Um, it may be the wrong change, but then it, the interesting part about change is change can change. So I try to be patient with that portion. The second one is at GitLab, we have this concept of minimum viable change, mm-hmm. but it's uh, smaller steps. So, okay, we agree on this smaller portion that would was exclusive. So as a team, can we commit to not making that mistake or, or not um, sustaining a change mm-hmm. or a, a, something like that? So making a change. Um, and then your question was different. I want to state one more thing. There, there, there needs to be a point of if we, we're expecting people to make mistakes, there has to be soft landings when you do make them. Yeah. Um, and And... Sometimes individual environments to to be corrective of here's a better way. I think based on the the person's preference. Um, but I think you're right there. There has to be a point where there's some scenarios, but I don't know because um, I, I have haven't had to make a decision of this where people are continuing to exclude people based on their understanding of inclusivity, and we have to have some guideline for that. I haven't gotten to that point. Um, I found that the structure that I just shared helps people be more constructive in it. What about the other part of my question? Yeah, yeah. When did you draw the line? Or where did you draw the line? Or being ignorant. Oh, <laughs> that end of the spectrum. Um, that 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 one. I think you have to, especially if they're high performing. Isn't that, that's when it's easier. That's when it's worse when they're high performing. I think, I think you have to be, uh, I'm saying, not tolerant of it. Do you hear me say high performing? Okay. Yeah. That's what I mean though. That's what, like, that's the worst type is, oh my gosh, they're high performing. So it's okay. That that can never happen. (laughs) That's where you have to be, um, have those, that corrective discussion quickly. Um, and I think if you ask people that what they would say is when people are not living the values of an organization, and high performing, I think the entire culture and and particularly the sharing of ideas or sharing of perspectives just erodes so quickly that so you true. have to go talk about it. So true. As soon as you can. We've seen it happen so many times. But again, that's a hard step, and it, it would be it probably would seem really hard if we weren't performing. Um, so that's why I say start early. Don't get yourself in that corner of not performing and thinking that the only way to get out is to allow people to keep saying yeah. things that are exclusive. Yeah. That's not okay. Um, this has been such a delight. I know my voice doesn't reflect my excitement. 
because <laughs> it's after five. Um, but this really has been very awesome. I thank you so much. Um, and thank you for taking the time. Thank you.